as Christians, our message is one of repentance. Our relationship with God begins with repentance, but throughout our life of faith and relationship with God, it maintains a mode of repentance. We repent as we are adopted into the family of God, but we never actually become perfect on this side of glory. So we continue with an attitude and mode of repentance. We believe in sin. We believe in sinfulness. But we also believe in God's grace and God's mercy and God's redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So not only do we repent, but we maintain a mode of repentance. But when we're obstinate, when we're stubborn, when we behave in a way that Moses refers to here with the Israelites that is presumptuous, what will the outcome be? When we fail to have an attitude of repentance, but instead are stubborn, are bullheaded, are closed-minded, well, what I want to talk to you today about is the rewards of rebellion. The rewards of rebellion. I'm going to share with you through two simple points today. And the first is the anger of the Lord. The second is the silence of the Lord. The first part is found in this first section of Scripture, verses 34 through 40. And this is under the title, The Anger of the Lord. And what I want you to do again is look at it with your eyes as I sort of wet the palate one more time. He says, In verse 34, and the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the the land that I swore to their fathers, etc., etc. Now, just as a quick background, you recall that God has redeemed the people of Israel from Egypt, from bondage and slavery. They have traversed the Red Sea and made it into this land of Horeb, otherwise known as Sinai, but they had an 11-day journey that essentially took 38 years because of their disobedience. They're in the situation that they're in right now because Moses is recapping their history and reminding them that they're in the situation that they're in because of the decisions that they've made, not because God is unkind, not because God is merciless, not because God is unloving, but because of the decisions that they've made. In this particular verse, as we get into this section, chapter 1, verse 34, there are a couple of things that are worth noting. They're going to come up here on the screen. First, I want you to note that Moses says, the Lord heard The Lord what? The Lord heard. I'm not sure why we think, you and I, that our God doesn't hear and see everything when the Bible clearly says that the Lord hears and sees everything. Sometimes we live as if we're going to get away with it. Amen? Whatever it is. You've got your it, I've got my it, everybody's got their it, but somehow, some way, we believe that when we're engaged in our it, God is not around. God closes his eyes or covers his ears, but the reality of the matter is we are all always susceptible to his justice and his judgment, but we don't behave that way. In this particular case, Israel is forgotten that the Lord has heard and that the Lord hears. The truth is we find it convenient 
that the Lord hears and sees all things when we call out to him. Amen? But we find it very decidedly inconvenient when we want to do what we want to do and we'd rather not have any of his input. We sin, but our sin doesn't give God a handicap, church. When we sin, he sees and he hears, and it affects our relationship, and that leads us to the second thing that I want us to note, and that is this, the Lord was angered. The Lord heard, and secondly, the Lord was angered. Listen, God isn't walking around heaven, dragging his holy knuckles with a squinted eye and one shoulder lower than the other, looking who he could knock down. That's not God's attitude. That's not God's disposition. That's an unfair characterization of God, and not only is it an unfair characterization of God, it's an unbiblical characterization of God. Write down some of these verses, Psalm 86.15. In Psalm 86.15, the psalmist says that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness. The Apostle John in 1 John 4.8 says that God is love. And the prophet Nahum sums it all up in chapter 1, verse 3 of Nahum when he says that the Lord is slow to anger, but the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. So you see, we have a God who is both. Not either or, but both and. He is loving and gracious and kind, but he is also just and holy, and he will not excuse the wicked. True, God loves and cares, and he's merciful and gracious, but we ignore his other qualities like justice and judgment and wrath to our own peril. God isn't simply all the best imaginable qualities that we can conjure up in our minds. God is who he has revealed himself to be. God is God. And we have to be faithful to accept every piece of his revelation. Here, God has carried his people from Egypt. He's redeemed them. He's guided them through difficult territory. And what's he getting? Is he getting worship? Is he getting honor? Is he getting thanksgiving? Is he getting obedience? No. He's getting rebellion. He's getting complaining. He's getting unholiness. He's getting unfaithfulness. And he's getting sin. Rebellion makes God angry. Unholiness makes God angry. Unfaithfulness makes God angry. Sin makes God angry. So much of what we're dealing with today, not only inside the church, but outside the church, and by way of relationships, so much liberalism that has crept into the church by way of our culture, is simply put a result of the dumbing down of the holiness of God. God is holy. He has expectations of his people in particular, but the world in general, and his judgment will not be wanting. He will execute judgment and he will execute justice because God hates sin because he's holy. God hates unrighteousness because God is righteous. So we find it very inconvenient sometimes to talk about these issues because they rub up against us in an abrasive fashion. We want to know, like our grandparents used to tell us, that we're perfect and we're amazing and the world wasn't, 
what it was before we were born. But the reality is you and I were sinners in need of a saving God. And when we are saved, our God who has adopted us by way of his son and the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, has expectations of his family members. And as often as we don't resemble the family resemblance, that's how often God is going to meet us with discipline. Sin makes God angry. Finally, I want you to note that the Lord swore. The Lord heard, the Lord was angered, and the Lord swore. I did a little research on this, just in particular in the book of Deuteronomy, and as I read through the book of Deuteronomy, I found this phraseology, the Lord swore, or something to it, over 25 times in the book of Deuteronomy, which tells us it's a big deal. It's serious. In this instance, I think what's being said is that God swore for all their unfaithfulness and unbelief and disobedience that they would not enter the promised land. God has decided. And once God makes a decision about a thing, there is no turning back. In this instance, God has announced that he has heard and seen their sin, that he was angered by their sin, and finally swore that they would not inherit the land so that they knew there was no adjustment from this point forward. You're not inheriting the land. Caleb and Joshua will. And your children, your children will, but you won't. I've decided and I've sworn that you will not. Even Moses is met with this discipline. Look at verse 37 in your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37 says, Even with me, Moses says, the Lord was angry, what does he say? On your account. And said, you shall not go in there. Moses was forbidden and would not enter the promised land because of his disobedience to the Lord. Let me say this. You might want to write this down, or if you're already mad at me from previously, then you don't have to write it down. But if you want to write it down, then do so. But if you don't, it's okay. It's okay. Don't lean on the familiar before you lean on faith. Don't lean on the familiar before you lean on faith. Moses was commanded to do something by God in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, Moses was commanded to speak to the rock, and the rock would yield water for the people. And the people had Moses so exasperated, so agitated, so frustrated, that instead of speaking to the rock the way God told him to, he hit the rock twice with his staff, and water came gushing from the rock because God covered his butt but he didn't do what God told him to do. And as a result of him not doing what God told him to do, God said, because you did not make my name holy in the sight of people, the word holy there meaning special, venerated, unique, because you didn't make me look good in front of everybody, you're not gonna go into the land. That's the consequence of your decision. Now, this is the reason I bring this point up to you in Numbers chapter 21. In Exodus chapter 17, God told Moses, strike the rock with your staff and water will come out. 
In Numbers 21, he says, speak to the rock. And in a state of agitation and frustration, Moses doesn't lean on faith. Moses leans on what's familiar. Ever done it? Ever leaned on the familiar before you lean on faith? I think we've all been there. I think we've all done that. The reality of the matter is Moses, as amazing as he was as a leader, as important and integral as he was to God's redemptive purpose in history, he was still accountable to God. Amen? And God told him to do something, and he didn't do it. As a consequence of that, he was not permitted to inherit the promised land. Moses leaned on the familiar rather than on faith, and it had consequences for him. This might seem like a harsh discipline, but let me share a few verses with you that might enlighten your eyes about this matter. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. James says it this way, chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of James, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that those of us who are teachers will be judged with a stricter judgment. Everybody wants the title, but not everybody wants the work. Everybody wants the reward, but not everybody wants the responsibility. Here we have an example before us from Moses himself. After everything that he has done and all that he has gone through, he's not going to inherit the land. And I love what he says. You know, the leaders, sometimes we do this. He goes, and the Lord told me I would not inherit the land on account of you. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, I would have made it. I was doing good. It's your fault. So maybe a small complaint in this text from Moses. But I want you to see a couple of things before we move from our first point to our second. And the first is this. I want you to note their problem. I want you to note their problem. In the book of Amos, the people of God are rebelling and living godless lives. And it says that God will not revoke their, his punishment from them. God will not revoke his punishment from them. That is, once a line has been crossed, there's no turning back. Did you get that? Once the line has been crossed, there's no turning back with God. Now, you might say, okay, Joe, well, where's the line? I don't know. The truth is nobody knows. We all sin, and we all ask God for forgiveness, and God forgives us, and we get reinstated, etc., etc. And that happens hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the course of our life. But there are times, there are moments when God says, okay, that's enough of that. And when is that moment? Where is that line? Nobody knows. The goal for you and me, Christian, is not to find the line and to live as close as we possibly can to it. The goal is to live as far as we possibly can from that line. Living close to God, not close to his judgment. Second, I want you to note their exclusion. That's their problem. They've crossed the line and there's no turning back. 
But secondly, I want you to note the exclusion. Verse 36 begins with the word except. Verse 36, except Caleb. And then a couple verses later, he says, Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, and then a few verses later, verse 39, the little ones. In other words, God was not going to allow that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, to inherit the promised land, but the next generation would. So Numbers chapter 14 says, when this generation dies, the next generation will inherit the land. That's their discipline. That's the third thing I want you to know. Their discipline. Verse 40, the very end of this section and thought of Scripture, but as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Church, This is the opposite direction of the promised land. This is God telling them, go the other way and just do circles until you're done. And when you're done, I'll bring in the next generation. That's God's judgment. That's their discipline. So we see this all under the heading of the anger of the Lord, which is found in verse 34. But secondly, we see something else that's interesting, namely the silence of the Lord. This is in verses 41 to 46. So read it with your eyes, if you would please, as I read aloud. Then you answered me, we've sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapon of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight because I am not in the midst of you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in seer. As far as Hormah, and you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not what? The Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you, so you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Now, secondly, let's look at the silence of the Lord found here in, in verses 34, uh, sorry, 30, um, 41 to 46. We get to that point. In uh, verse 45, that God is being silent by way of a handful of other verses that are important and show us what we ought to get as the context of this situation is revealed to us. Number one, I want you to note their regret. This is in verse 41. The people of Israel have regret. We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. Now, Now you want to obey the Lord. You had the opportunity before, and you missed it. You were disobedient. You refused to be obedient to the Lord. Now that the consequences of your sin are at your front door, now you want to obey. That's essentially what's taking place here, what we would call, I think, regret. Not repentance, but regret. There's a difference between regret and repentance. Let me say that again. There's a difference between regret and repentance. Regret is a feeling of disappointment, but repentance is a change in our thinking that leads to a change in our lives. Let me say that again. Regret is a feeling of disappointment. I'm sorry I got caught, 
But repentance is a change in our thinking that results in a change in our lives. Here, Israel isn't repentant. Israel is regretful. They're regretful that things aren't working out. There comes a time, church, when all the regret in the world won't change the situation or the circumstance of our faithlessness. There's a verse that's going to come up on the screen. It's from 2 Corinthians 7.10. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, the Apostle Paul writes these words, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There's a regret that the secular world experiences that doesn't produce life. It just makes matters worse. It only makes you feel worse. It only leads to a more problematic outcome. But godly repentance is different. Godly repentance leads to life because godly repentance connects you to the God who is living. Secondly, I want you to note the consequence. Not only the regret, but the consequence. They say, after their regret, okay, 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 God wants us to go up and and, and fight. We'll go up and fight. They say we're going to go up and fight, but God says, don't go up. Don't fight. I won't be with you. This is a hard pill to swallow, amen? We are raised by our family members and in churches and through podcasts and YouTube videos to think that no matter what we do, God will only and forever be with us. What if that isn't true? What if God will always and forever be with us in a salvific sense? but not in a protective sense. What if we lead our lives in such a way that we force, as it were, God to remove his blessing from our life? Now, we don't lose our salvation if we are genuine Christians. But what if we are genuine Christians going through hardship because God has removed his blessing of protection from us as a result of our disobedience? How many of us know people who genuinely trusted Jesus but can't get their life right because they won't get their life right? God says go right and they go left. God says stop and they go. God says go and they stop. How many of us know people or how many of us are those people who live our lives however we want and then we shake our fists with God when he brings discipline? How dare you? I was told you were loving Well, God is loving. But we're sold this lie that God's love is unconditional. God's love is not unconditional. God's love is conditional upon Jesus. No one receives God's love without the condition that is found in the covenant of redemption. We don't just get God's love when we're born. Jesus said, we must be born what? Again. The result of the matter is consequences when we sin, when we're disobedient. And far be it from us to think that we can live however we want, whenever we want, and still be inheritors, heirs of God's blessing. We see it right here. Not even Moses is going into the land 
Now, God did not forsake Moses. But he did hold Moses accountable for the decision that he made. I wonder how many of you are being held accountable today for the decisions that you've made. How many of us can't get on the other side of whatever it is because God said, I will not deal with you on that any longer. The decisions that we make today, church, will ultimately affect the next generation. The decisions we make today will affect the next generation. Some of you are here and you don't have children. Understand this before you have children. The decisions you make today will affect the children that you will have if God so decides to give you children. Those of you who are here and are parents, the children that God has entrusted to you will inherit the circumstances and the consequences of your decisions. Be careful how you decide. Those of you who are here and have grandchildren, don't think for a second that your life and your decisions don't affect your grandchildren. We cannot live our lives as if the decisions we make today will not or cannot affect our children or our grandchildren. It says here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 43, I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled, you what? You rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Raymond Brown, in his commentary on Deuteronomy, writes this important sentence. He says, Their presumption is even more serious than their perversity. Think about it. There are sinners who are guilty of sin that in your mind is worse than yours, but they're forgiven of their sin and you are not because your sin is presumption. And you know what the proverb says, pride comes before the fall. If we are determined to carry our sin with arrogance, with haughtiness, and with a self-confidence that is not justifiable before the Lord, why would we be surprised if we go into battle and the Lord is not in our midst? Sin is bad enough. It's bad enough to our mental health. It's bad enough to our physical health, our emotional health, and our physical health. It's another thing to add presumption and arrogance to the already negative effects sin has on us. Thirdly, I want you to note their solitude. Their regret, their consequences, and under the silence of the Lord, I want you to note their solitude. The sad truth is, church, say amen if you're listening, 
Sometimes we get what we want. Some of you husbands are here mistreating your wives, and if you're not careful, you're going to get what you want. Some of you wives are here, you're neglecting your husbands, and if you're not careful, the devil's going to send a woman along the path of your husband to tell him that he shouldn't be neglected and that she's the one who will take good care of him. Sometimes we get what we want. Well, that's not what I want. No, but that's what your actions are saying. You live the way you live, and then you come to my office and say, I need counseling. Of course you need counseling. You've been making every single decision in the flesh and not in the spirit. You haven't done one thing the way God told you to. And now you said, I'm going to go into the fight. And God said, I'm not going. Because you've gotten in the habit of not leaning on faith, but leaning on what's familiar. And you've gotten into this rut. You know what a rut is. called out to God and God hasn't answered God's quiet look at what the scripture says in verse 43 it says I spoke to you but you would not what's the word listen jumping down now to verse 45 or 46 45 and 46, you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen. Isn't this interesting? This entire section of scripture starts in verse 34 like this. God heard and it made him angry. And it closes by saying, when you stopped listening, God stopped listening. It doesn't mean that God became deaf. It doesn't mean, as the scripture says, that the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous, but he does not hear the prayers of the wicked in Proverbs 15, 29. It doesn't mean that he can't hear. It means that he's under no obligation to answer. Church, listen to me. When you are outside the will of God, he is under no obligation to answer your prayers. We live our lives sometimes in such a way that it doesn't reflect this sort of mentality. We want to live the way that we want to live, but we still want to be blessed. And God will not bless us when we are living in sin because God doesn't want us comfortable in sin. God wants us uncomfortable in sin. He wants us comfortable in blessings. How many of us have realized that? How many of us are living whatever the trial, whatever the tribulation, step by step with Jesus because we are better off in the difficulties that come with God's blessing than we are the ease of sin and the absence of his grace and his spirit. One commentator says, disobedience meant that the Lord could withdraw his presence. Disobedience means you're doing this alone. Let me say that again. Disobedience means you're doing this alone. God is not staying with you. God is not staying with your family. God is not staying with your legacy. 
if you are living and deciding in such a way that the familiar takes priority over faith. To close, let me say this. Every rebellion brings its reward. Be careful with the rewards of rebellion. The decisions that you make today will affect everything from this point forward. Your life, your friendships, your family, your marriage, your parenting, your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives. I know what the answer to this question is. Do you want God to bless your children or grandchildren or not? I know what the answer to that is. Of course I do, but you've got to get something, church. He's not going to bless you outside of his will. Just like he didn't bless them. Don't bother going up to fight now. I won't be with you. Don't bother trying to take the promised land now. I won't let you. There are consequences to our actions. My encouragement to you today is not to be one who is filled with regret, but to be one who, in view of the rewards of rebellion, is filled with repentance. A mind that has changed about the things of God, about the word of God, about the life that God has called you to lead. Serious message today. I want to give you a few moments of reflection and prayer. Wherever God might be speaking to you or wherever God might be meeting you in your life, here's my prayer for you, that you would follow him and not what's familiar. Follow him by faith and not what's familiar. I know you've gotten used to responding. Every time this happens, I do this. Every time that happens, I do this. But I wonder what it would be like to break that habit for God's sake. In God's name. I wonder what it would be like for you in your family, in your relationships, in your walk with Christ. To not respond in the familiar way, but to respond in a way of faith.